0: Welcome to the Success Road Podcast. This is the podcast where we meet at the intersection of your life and take decisive action to move onward toward higher levels of success, whatever that means for you. My name is Joshua Rivers from PodcastGuyMedia.com and I'm taking you on this journey. Now, perhaps you've heard of the terms like inner critic, self-negative talk, imposter syndrome, different things like that. Now, for many years, our guest today allowed negative beliefs to rule her life, and it kept her down. Her story is one of courage, determination, and vulnerability, though. But most importantly, it's about having the confidence to be able to face fear in everyday life, facing our own worst enemy, which is facing our own judgments and harsh criticism. And a lot of times that's really hard to be able to overcome because it's literally in our head. Today, though, she works with negative self-talkers to discover inner strength and beauty by overcoming the fears of judgment. And so I'm excited to have Michelle Quay with us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Josh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to get started, Michelle, with talking about your struggles with negative self-talk, because that goes back to your childhood. Can you kind of explain what happened and how it affected you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Taiwan. I was born in Taiwan. I came from a very... You know, typical regular family. My my parents. My my dad works in the military. He was a soldier in the military, a lieutenant in this in the military, and my mom was a housewife. And it was very typical, normal family. When I was eleven years old, one day I was uh, coming off from school, and I remember my mom was kind of running late on that day. I was waiting for her, and I was just hanging out with my friends and a regular day that i didn't see any you know abnormal or anything that stood out for me on that day and when i saw my mom coming and in taiwan we have these uh motorbikes and she was on her cute little motorbike she was coming afar and i saw her so i was excited so i got up on my chair and i wanted to cross the street to meet her on the other side so that she doesn't have to make a u-turn so i got up and i was crossing the street And as I was crossing the street, suddenly I heard my best friend, she stood up from her chair where she was sitting and then she was waving at me. She was yelling at me. She said, stop, stop. And I heard so much noise around me that moment. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what was going on. But the thing I knew was I was hearing a loud screeching sound and then I was also smelling the rubber. And by the time I realized that there was a car coming towards me, it was already too late. So when it hit me and I was, by the time I woke up, I was already in the hospital. Mm. So between where the accident happened to where I woke up in the hospital, I had no recollection of how did I get there? What had happened? Who called the hospital? Who took me there? I had no idea. I just remember... Afterwards, I was in excruciating pain. I was laying in hospital bed and I looked down from my waist all the way to my ankle. The doctor had wrapped me with plasters all around. So they had to stabilize me from my waist down and I was sent home. I was sent home for the following three months to recover from the accident. And by the time I got home, my parents set up a, a little section in the living room because we, we, the building that we had in Taiwan, it's two-story high. And in order for me to get to my bedroom, oftentimes I have to climb stairs. So after the surgery, after the car accident, my parents set up a little section in the living room and just had me hang around there, sleeping there, basically do everything I need to do in bed, in the living room for the following three months. Initially, you know, being an 11 year old kid, it was great. It was fantastic because I didn't have to go to school anymore. I was really excited. No more school. <laughs> I probably just like, like kids right now, you know, they're going through this isolation and they're just homebound. I'm sure they have no feeling of fear or, you know, uncertainty. They're just really happy that there's no school. And yeah. that, that was me. I felt that way. I was really excited very happy that I didn't have to go to school for three you know three months. as I was slowly moving through that recovery, I realized that my friend had already moved on. They were moving on to sixth grade they were moving on to junior high so I kind of felt left out already at age 11. I'm like mm, this is not so fun you know I, get, I I don't get to see my friend I don't get to talk to them I don't get to go to class. And I used to love going to school. I love, you know, the fact that the next day I'm going to school, let me pack all my bags and let me make sure I have my lunch. I was very organized. I was probably the most organized kid in my family. And I love going to school. So you can imagine that, you know, the fact that when I start to realize that this is what's happening, it was not, I was not happy about it, but I couldn't do anything with it. And after the car accident, after the three-month recovery, my doctor had told me that, you know, I had to start doing recovery, doing rehab, rehab physical rehab. So mm-hmm. they, my mom, my parents enrolled me to one of those rehab centers in North of Taipei, in Taipei, and there's this huge rehab center where they sent, parents will send the kids to live in the rehab center by themselves, and they're only allowed to visit them on the weekend. So it was kind of like a boarding school where they put kids and and they kind of just stay away. So my following four years of my life, basically, I lived in and out of that rehab center. What happened was after the car accident, the doctor had found that I had trouble growing my bone. So it wasn't healing as the way that it should have been. So they kept going back and readjusting and reopening up, cutting open and and putting metal plates onto my bone um, to secure it, to stabilize it. So I went in and out of surgery over 11, 12 times, just between that four years of time span. By age 15, my parents' permission to come out here to the United States. So my grandparents were already here in the United States. So we all, the whole entire family moved. When we first came to America, we went to New York. New York is kind of like my home. New York always has a place in my heart. And, you know, it's really sad for me to see what's going on in New York right now because I I can imagine, you know, what people are going through. That's where I first landed when I came to America. And coming to America, it it wasn't easy. You know, I was Mm -hmm. still recovering from my car accident. And on top of that, I was trying to learn English. I didn't speak English at all. (laughs) The only simple phrase I could say was, this is a hamburger, that is a desk, Coke like simple words simple everyday language not complicated i couldn't do it it was really quite challenging to deal with this physical rehabilitation as well as learning something new adapting to a new environment and making new friends and knowing you know where to go when i need something done and my parents they don't speak english at all so a lot of time they're depending on us you know children to help them to translate So it was a lot of external thing that I was going through up until when I went to college. By the time I got to college, I noticed that the way I was walking, the way that I was moving around, it was not the best posture and all my body weight had caused my leg to disfigure. The way that I was walking was creating a permanent damage on my leg. So by the time I got to college, I realized that I could no longer walk long distance without having some kind of assistant. And initially, my Mm -hmm. assistant would be my mom. So everywhere I go, my mom would hold my hand. And so basically, she was my crutch. So everywhere I go, she goes. We had a lot of good memory too, you know, in that time span because she was my companion. And I remember going, taking her to different countries and different places because I, I rely on her for helping me to walk. So, together we walked a long distance. But after college, I had to move, start moving to the dorm. I had to leave home and I couldn't Mm -hmm. take my mom anymore. And I started to look for a job. I started to, you know, looking for a position to be able to sustain myself. And I couldn't take my mom anymore. So, what happened was I ended up using these two arm crutches where I have some kind of mobility, but not quite. So, my hands would be busy. So I have two arm crutches and I've been using them ever since then. So after graduate school, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of just move on along. Went through the motion, like everyone in the society, we graduate from school, we go look for a job and hopefully, you know, we'll come into a marriage and meeting someone who would return our affection. And that was the exact process that I was going through. Going to school, meeting all the expectations, finding a job. But it was really challenging for me because I don't look normal. Number one, my height, I'm really short. I'm only 44 inches tall. Mm. And that's like a typical average 9-year-old, 11-year-old kid. And when I walk into the workplace, people don't take me as seriously. And that was the impression I get from many people and many places that I've been to. And I mm-hmm. turn all that external expectation and judgment, I put it, I kept it all inside of me. So if it's a rejection from the position I applied to, I turn it around and I feel it was my fault. It was because this is how I look. Of course, they don't trust me. Of course, they're not going to hire me as you know a manager. And then when going on into relationship, I think it just made the matters worse. Because in relationship, There's also a degree of competition that goes on between, you know, I'm a woman and and when you're seeing other women who appear beautiful, you know, their body, their shape, and everything about them externally is so perfect. And that's what the society wants. That's what the man wants. That's our belief is our culture is that this is a standard. And Mm -hmm. when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't meet the standard. I don't meet the expectation. So when I was in the relationship, it created a lot of emotion that came out. And I think one of the biggest challenges I have, and sometimes people ask me, is it the physical challenge that's more challenging or is it the emotional challenge that's more challenging? And I would have to say that the emotional challenge is the most challenging portion to overcome. And so I was dealing a lot with that from 11 years old all the way till I was about 40 before I start to have that shift of mindset, a different paradigm shift, where I start to look at things differently. But I lived 30 years of my life looking down to myself, being ashamed of my body when I look at myself into the mirror. When they talk about self love, sure I talk about self love. I hashtag self love. I put Pictures on social media, hashtag self love, but I had no idea what that means, self love, because I was constantly beating myself up for the things that I don't have. I don't have the physical body. I don't have the height that normal people do. I don't have that significant other who can hold me at night. There's so many things that I don't have, and I was focusing on all the things that I don't have. So I was going through quite a lot of self-talk in that 30 years of time.
0: Yeah. I personally can't relate to a lot of that. I'm tall and <laughs> and so that's one thing. <laughs> and I don't have the physical restrictions necessarily or mm-hmm. growing up I didn't. I've gained a lot of weight and that's caused some restrictions here lately. But, but growing up, I never had any of that. And I definitely didn't have any of the culture shock and language barriers and all of that. So that must have been really, really difficult. But I know that things are definitely different now for you. So yeah. having gone through all of that, can you tell us how you overcame the inner critics?
1: Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the emotional challenge is probably the most difficult to challenge. When you are standing in front of two challenges, a physical challenge versus emotional challenge, you have to kind of weigh your win-win, right? Which one have, do you have a better win in overcoming it in, at that moment of time? And for me, it was that physical challenge. Physical challenge, I can overcome it. If, if I'm too short, that's okay. I, I'll get a step stool to, to help me to reach stuff on the top. If I, they, they sell these uh, clamping that you can uh, reach to the top of the shelf. So I can get one of those. So physical challenge is easy to overcome. So let me tackle that first. So it was a mm-hmm. decision between which one do I want to tackle first. So I decided that I was going to tackle the uh, physical challenge first. So how do I tackle the physical challenge? And I'm like sitting there and looking at it. And one day when I was waking up, I realized that, you know, this is not the life that I want to live. I don't want to live my life feeling sorry for myself. I don't want to constantly beating up myself over, you know, how I look. I'm going to change that. So I went out to Target and I bought one of those uh, exercise balls. I brought it home Mm -hmm. because I can't run, I can't jump. The very least I can do is maybe sit on the ball and just kind of rock rock myself back and forth. That's a little bit of movement. That's a change, right? So I started to kind of doing a little bit of movement. I start yoga. I I went and signed up yoga class. I did the balancing ball. And then I wanted to take it a little further. So I decided, you know what? Okay, I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take it to the next level. So, I went to the gym. I signed up membership. It was the first time in my life ever walking into a gym. I never thought it was possible, but I said, well, heck, why not? So, I walked into the gym, signed up the membership, and I said, well, I don't know how to use these machines. This is my first time. So, I decided, you know what? Okay, so let's take it to the next level. And I, so I just kept taking it to the next level and next level. So I got myself a personal trainer. And with that, I remember setting up a goal. And I told my personal trainer, I said, listen, here's what I need you to do. Obviously, you can see me. I have limited mobility. I have limited orientation of my leg. What can you do for me? And here is my goal. My goal is that year in 2016, I want to be able to hike so that I can participate in all the conversation I have with my friend. So I set up a goal to hike. Where do I want to hike to? And there's something about me that kind of just recently struck me because I'm always the kind of person who takes things to the next level. I'm always about leveling up. So where do I want to hike? I want to hike to Machu Picchu. So I decided that that year in 2016, I'm going to do a 26-mile, four-day hike through the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, and I'm going to prove to myself and everybody else that I am capable of doing this. So that year, in 2016, on September, I booked myself a ticket to Peru by myself. I had the luggage, I had my two clutches. I went onto the flight. I got there, and I hiked the Machu Picchu on the very last day of that Inca Trail. I remember, so the last sun gate is the last entrance to the, to the Machu Picchu site. And before you enter into the Machu Picchu site, you have to go through the last 50 steps of the, of the sun gate. And the stairs is 50 steps, and they're really steep. So it's about 60, if not more, angle, and it's really hard to climb. So I was looking, I remember looking down from the bottom of the stairs and I was looking up and I was like, oh my God, holy shit. How did I get here? <laughs> mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how do I get over that? I was trying to, my whole entire focus was focusing on how do I finish the last 50 steps so that I don't kill myself here. I want to go home. So mm-hmm. I was really determined to go to the top. I was at the bottom of the stairs. I took off my, I gave my two arm crutches to the leader who was following me. And I took off my day pad. I said, here, you hold on to this and you meet me at the top. He went up to the top and I was on the bottom of the stairs. And I started to get down to my knees and my hands. I start crawling. I crawled 50 steps. The last 50 steps to the sun gate, went to the top. And I turned around, took back my uh, crutches. I took back the crutches. I had my arm high up and like a victory, you know, that kind of posture. I yeah. said, "Yes, I did it." Turn around, went walking to the Machu Picchu site, at the, where all the travelers were just kind of hanging out, and that was kind of like the last resting stop before they move on to the to the actual site. So everyone was just hanging out, and it was really crowded, there's a lot of people. And when I walked in, everyone stood up, and they were all clapping, they were all cheering for me. Wow! And I just broke down in tears. Because in my entire lifetime, while I was feeling sorry for myself, while I was feeling embarrassed about my body, while I was being ashamed of who I am, all these people stood up, and they were there for me, So I broke down in tears. I was crying for a long time at the sun gate. I came home and I realized what worked really well in that moment of time was that single moment of idea that I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to live my life this way. I want to be different. What do I have to do to make it different? And that single idea got me here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. So that's really, really powerful. That just shows that when you're determined, you can overcome. And so with that, you had to overcome both the internal and the physical aspects that, that you were describing. And that's just amazing. That, that's definitely one of those stories that I love hearing. And it's like, like, okay, now this is like a great documentary of this inspiration. And it's just amazing though, to be able to hear about that. And so going forward, though, what would you say would be your lifelong goal?
1: Well, my lifelong goal is always using this determination, using... So I have this uh, rule. So I call it the 3D rules. There's 3D rules in our lives that will make you successful in anything that you do. And the 3D rules are determination, discipline, and dedication. Determination, you have to be determined in what you want for your life, and you want it so bad that you're going to drop everything else and, and go do it. So determination, discipline. You have to be able to discipline yourself and keep showing up no matter if it's the worst hour of your life. You have to discipline yourself to wanting it, to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is the dedication. You have to dedicate your entire life for this to be your passion and if you were to apply all 3d rules in any situation whether it's losing weight whether it's living healthy whether it's you know being successful in job if you were to imp- apply all 3d rules in doing what you do there's no way that you cannot be successful so my ultimate goal is so i opened a uh, seminar and coaching company because i want to bring all the resources and have all the revenue that's generated from my business to fund a nonprofit school out in the Middle East. One of the things that I believe is that children deserve education, regardless where they are, who they are, and what race or gender they are. And I have this big passion for the children in the Middle East, because I feel with all the conflict that's going on in the world, all the judgments that we have in this world, it's create, we're stripping away their rights to education. And their mm-hmm. children who are in the Middle East, in the refugee camp, they have no access to education, period. And education is what changes the world. If you don't know something, how can you even support and have the knowledge of knowing how to support yourself? And we're talking about, you know, thousands, thousands of people in refugee camp, and we keep saying that they're the problem, they're the issue. But have we ever create any solution for them? And what is that solution? So we keep going circling around, wanting to address these refugee issues, but we're not giving them the skill. We're not teaching them how to live their life, how to create, how to rebuild. It it makes sense why they continue to be refugee. So if we mm-hmm. don't want to have the refugee issue, then do something. Teach them skill. There's an analogy about fishermen and the fish. You you can give the fish to a fisherman, but or you can teach the fishermen how to fish. Mm-hmm. Right. So I really truly believe that a lot of the conflict that's going on in the world, we can do it and we can resolve it by sharing resource, by teaching each other, by having that knowledge of how to Create a solution focused world rather than a problem focused society. So that's my ultimate goal. I know it's a long, long answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> so, so I appreciate it. And I know that you have a lot more that you can be able to share with people. You have your own podcast, mm-hmm. correct, called Perfectly Normal, but you also wrote a book also called Perfectly Normal, an immigrant story of making it in America. You tell us a little bit more what that's about, and then also what inspired you to start writing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Once I came out of this, you know, my, my own thinking and victim thinking mentality and mindset, I realized that there's a purpose in my life. And I was trying to discover what that purpose is with that 30 years of my life. So I finally figured out, That you know, my purpose of this life is to use my my difference, my appearance, my uniqueness to inspire others. And how do I inspire others? And I want to be able to reach to more people. And how do I reach to more people? So it took me another level. So in order to reach other people, I need to write a book. So what inspired me to write the book is actually what I want. My intention of inspiring others. So hopefully, it's a memoir. So perfectly normal, it's a memoir that describes my journey after the car accident all the way up until this point, well, actually last year. It describes the entire journey and what I was going through during that journey, all the emotional challenges, the physical challenges were all in the book. And in the podcast, it's actually an extension to the book because the book kind of, I kept it very neutral. It, doesn't, it was explaining the experience, whereas the podcast is more about, you know, me sharing some personal opinion about things and issues that we face our, on our everyday life.
0: Yeah, and I think I saw that if you order that book through your website, that you'll mm-hmm. actually send an autographed copy. Is that yes. correct? Yes.
1: Yes. So, so if the, uh, the listener likes to get a copy, then it's available on Amazon as well. But if you, they order through my website, um, personally sign the book and send it and mail it to them.
0: Yeah, there you go. So we'll make sure to have a link in the show notes to be able to get right to that to make it easy. So I'll have the Amazon and your website both. That way that can be there and also for your podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to say as we wrap things up?
1: I think looking around what we're going through right now, and perhaps some of the listeners are experiencing some of those fear and self doubt, especially with the employment rate. You know, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I want you to know that you're not in this alone. And I think it's a very important concept and idea and belief that we have to ingrain into our, our head that we are not in this alone. There's help. There's, you can reach out to friends. You know, There's a lot of people around you who care about you and who want to hear from you. So make sure that you know and you give yourself time and you are not in this alone.
0: Great. Now, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, uh, like I said, we'll have a link to your website and all that in the show notes, but can you go ahead and let us know what that is and if there's any other way that you would like people to contact you?
1: Sure. My website is at elevatelifecoaching.org. And if they like, they can follow me on Instagram at elevatelifecoach.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Michelle, for taking time to be with us today and sharing your story. And I really hope that people take this and they're able to overcome whatever it is that is stopping them in their life, be able to overcome their self-doubts, their different negative talks and different things like that, and be able to make strides forward as a result of this. Now, if you want to get the show notes for today's episode, you can either swipe over in your podcast app, or you can go to successroadpodcast.com slash 404 to be able to get the show notes there. And as we leave today, I want to ask you to please share this with anyone that you think needs this encouragement and information, and I'll look forward to talking with you again next episode. Thank you, and God bless.